So, uh, growing up, did you have any um, imaginary friends? I did, but it made fun of me all the time. How's that? Well, it, it would always say, at least I have a real friend. Oh, wow. That's horrible. <laughs> Let's do our intro. Let's do the intro. <laughs> this podcast may not be suitable for children. If you are easily offended or bothered by strong language or dark humor, this may not be the podcast for you. This podcast accepts no responsibility for butthurt feelings or erections lasting longer than four hours. Thank you. Good evening, and welcome to the What the <laughs> Was That Podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne. And I'm Jill. And today, I think we're talking about imaginary friends. Oh, well, something kind of similar. Um, just to put a thought in everyone's head, though, while I'm thinking about it, do you think everyone at home realizes that the whole time that theme song's playing, I'm kind of dancing and headbanging? Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure they have not even thought about <laughs> well, it. Well, now it's there forever. <laughs> so, speaking of putting things in your brain... Um, we are discussing a thing kind of like imaginary friends. I think people who practice it probably would be a little offended by that comparison, but we are discussing tulpas. Tulpas. That's T-U-L-P-A-S for the plural, um, for those that can't understand redneck. Are you sure it tulpas or plural or is it tulpa? I don't know. We're talking about tulpa. Is this is Tolpas. And the only reason I say that is in the article, one of the articles that I read, it said Tolpa. Oh, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't mean that Tolpas is wrong. We have an issue with plurals already. <laughs> one day we're going to have to tell the platypus story. Yes, we will. So, I'm just going to say Tolpa. Tolpa. But tulpa in, I, was, I was spelling it in case... Someone out in listener land didn't understand redneck. Because, you know, I know sometimes we say things a little country. (laughs) It's a mild understatement. So, um, I guess I'll start off with what is a tulpa? Tell me what a tulpa is. It is a concept in mysticism and the paranormal of a being or object which is created through spiritual or mental powers. Okay. Kind of like a meditation type? Kind of like basically you think up and, and through your thoughts create a being. Okay. Drive on. So it was adapted by 20th century theosophists, which I'm, I'm guessing are kind of like theologists. I, eh, I don't know. I just copied the word down. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> um, and it comes from the Tibetan word sprolpa, which means emanation or manifestation okay the modern definition refers to a type of imaginary friend that is willed into existence which practitioners believe to be sentient and relatively autonomous so there's some some five dollar words yeah sentient and (laughs) autonomous basically saying that these these are imaginary friends they will into existence that can think for themselves and have a mind of their own. 
and that's over time. Right, as, after, as the, after created. Yeah, as they're created. They don't just poof, and there they are. Like, they, right. they have to work it up. So, as, as I kind of mentioned, it goes back to Tibet, um, and it has some religious ties. So, in 1929, a European woman, and, and I had to write down European woman because this, I kept reading it as Alexander every single time. It's Alexandra, and I think I did it because it's Alexandra David Neal. Yeah, I, I was. Some of the uh, stories that I have picked was some of her experiences. Yeah. Because they're the most well documented that I could find. Yeah, I think she actually wrote a book about it. Uh, I think possibly two. Yeah. Um, but I think the David kept making me think it was a, a man. I kept thinking it was David Neal. Yeah. So Alexandra is what I'm going to call her so I can remember it's a her. Um, she spent years studying Tibetan religion and mysticism. I like that word. It sounds like all. Oh, <laughs> you gotta leave that in there. <laughs> um, and here's one of her books she wrote. She published Magic and Mysticism in Tibet. She wrote about the Tibetan Sprolpa, and she coined the term Tulpa. And it's, it's kind of guessed that this was most likely to make it translate more phonetically from Tibetan to English. Well, and plus it was written in French the first time. Yes. Yeah. Look at me knowing things. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Tulpa is probably more like how it sounds when somebody who speaks Tibetan says right. Sprolpa. Probably so. So, Tulpas are created by a... And this is in the Tibetan religious thought of of things. Um, tulpas are created by a spiritual entity or human who can envision the object they wish to represent as if it was already real. So you've got to have a very good mind's eye or imagination. Right, and you have to do all the details. Yes, it kind of like you don't like you don't want your copier running out of toner. And you you miss some of the letters when you're making right, a copy. You right. got to get all the toner. <laughs> it, it's almost like you're doing art. You're doing a drawing in your head down to the absolute smallest, minute molecule detail. Yeah, like you don't you don't want your picture to not have fingers. Right. Um. In Tibet, it was believed that various spirits and deities used tulpas to create manifestations of themselves for people to interact with. And and I want to kind of pause after some of this because some of this sounds really, like, deep. Right. Um, so what this kind of brought to mind for me is, do you remember reading, like, Roman and Greek mythology mm-hmm. in school and... It would talk about the different gods and goddesses walking among people, um, some of them getting busy with some people, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Right. Um, that's what this sounded like to me. Wasn't Hercules one of those? Hercules was the result. Of one of those. Of one of those. Zeus came down and was getting his right. freak on with right. some of the humans, mm-hmm. and along came Hercules. And um, Athena? Mo- Moana? I don't, yeah, I think, um, I think maybe Moana, like her ancestors. Yeah. Not Moana herself. Not Moana herself, but, um, uh, the, like, the rock guy. Maui. 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 Yes. Maui Maui is the result of some of the gods and goddesses getting their freak on in their tulpa form. Um, 
I guess. I can see how it can go that way, but not in my head. It would be like the gods and goddesses would have to imagine themselves to put them down. Well, but listen, some well-trained holy people could also create tulpas with varying degrees of skill. Right. Well, I have a story here about a, a llama who befriended uh alexandria a llama like like a llama a dalai llama a, oh okay a buddhist person not like a llama like a i was gonna say bat but i don't think they do that no but. <laughs> not like the no drama llama this golf page yeah, yeah just no. not like the fuzzy cute animal no. okay uh-huh. so so, so did you want to go into that now, or you want to wait until... Um, would you like for me to... Would this be a good spot to... It would be a good spot, I guess, to go ahead and throw in so you can kind of explain... Well, this kind of does explain mm-hmm. what was going on. So, um, Alexandria had befriended a llama called Rimposh, and it was not unusual for him to show up at her camp just to have a sit-down and talk. And uh, one day... Alexandria's cook asked for some provisions that were stored in her tent, so they both walked towards the tent to get the provisions. The two of them saw the Lama Rimposh sitting in a folded chair at Alexandria's camp table near her tent. The cook therefore said he would retrieve the provisions later. He should go make tea for the visiting Lama first. As the cook headed to the kitchen, Alexandria walked over to greet the llama, looking at him as she approached. But as just a few steps from the tent, the strange, a strange thing occurred, and Alexandria described it as if a flimsy veil of mist had opened before her tent like a curtain and slowly pulled aside, and the llama Rimposh was gone instantly. Huh. So it's almost like he is opening up a spot where he's at, stepping in to where she's at. stepping back out. And then stepping back out. So when the cook came back shortly after with the tea, Alexandria told him the llama had only come to pass a quick message because she didn't want to explain what had happened. And she was worried that it would frighten the cook. Later, she was able to mention this incident with the llama and with the llama himself during a real visit and he offered a laugh but no explanations. In fact, he pulled much of the same trickery on her in different occasions, completely vanishing from view when they were walking in the middle of a wide, bare track of land where there was nowhere to hide. Alexandria's take on this is that both cases she was visited by a tulpa of the Lama Rinpoche and a useful thing for him if he needed if he himself could not travel to where she was. So he can so it's like astral proje- projection. Kinda, yeah. 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 But that kind of supports too the theory that that's what the gods and goddesses were doing. I mean if they just were projecting a physical image of themselves but it's an image how you sleep with an image well, i don't and know make a, she was walking and talking and having tea with it well, that's true but if it's an image i can see walking and talking with it but if it's just an image 
I can't touch you like that. I don't know. So I don't got answers. I just got info. All right. Well, drive on. (laughs) (laughs) But it did make me think, too, when I was talking about um, well-trained holy people being able to create tulpas to varying degrees of skill. Could that have been like Moses in the burning bush? Possibly. I mean, like Moses was creating that embodiment of the spirit for the people. Right, because um, I, I'm pretty sure you'll cover this here in a bit, but if a large group of people get to thinking on the same thing, that could cause a tulpa. Mm-hmm. With enough mental energy going out, it could literally cause a tulpa to develop unintentionally. Right. And there are Bible scriptures about speaking things into existence. Hmm. So that kind of ties in with tulpas. And and I always bring up um, my oldest. He's type 1 diabetic. Yes, he is. And when I was first noticing that something was going on with his health, um, it was around Thanksgiving and his birthday. And so there was a lot going on. Doctor's office wasn't open for like a week. And I was worried, and and I knew in my heart, like, he's diabetic, and i got to get him to the doctor. Well, someone sitting in the chair across from me that I'm looking at right now... That was me. (laughs) ...kept saying, don't speak that on him. You'll speak it into being. Right. Well, just like in Talladega Nights, don't put that on me, Ricky Bobby. Right. Um... But there's there's Bible scripture to support this too. So that's kind of the thinking with the tulpas is that you can think something into being. Right. Well, and if you think about this, if I wake up and I'm in one of my shitty moods. So like every other day? Most. <laughs> if if I listen to to music that amplifies that mood, that mood just gets worse. Right. But if I listen to music that's a little more upbeat and not daunting, the mood starts to lift. And if I tell myself that I'm in a better mood and I pretty much lie through my teeth saying it's a good day, eventually saying that enough, it will turn it into a good day. Or like when you told me to quit cussing at the alarm clock and grumbling about getting out of bed because it set you off in a bad mood for the day. <laughs> well, right, because every morning your alarm goes off, you hit the thing, you start bitching and cussing about it, and that's the very first thing I hear, and that sets the tone for the rest of my day. I'm not a morning person. <laughs> I'm just glad I wake up. Yeah, so so I'm just kind of breeze, breeze through these um, scriptures just to kind of point out that they're there and let everyone kind of ponder on them. Um. The first one is Proverbs 18.21, and it's, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. This is true. So. Would you like an example? Sure. Let's say you have a child that only hears negative things. That child is not going to prosper like they should. Where if you have if you love and dot on a child and tell them how great they're doing, even if it's not the greatest, but over any little good thing they do, that child thinks more of itself and will do better. That's true, and it also kind of explains like the cycle of abuse and why kids who grow up in abusive households tend to turn out to be abusers themselves. Because that's what you grow up in. Yeah, that's what you do. 
Um, the next one is, I, always, I feel like I'm going to say this wrong, even though I call my kid this, Philippians 4.8. I said that right, didn't I? Yes. <laughs> I always want to say Philippians. <laughs> because her son's name is Philip. Um, Philip's so, peeing again. Yeah, Philip. <laughs> <laughs> Philippians. Philippians 4.8 <laughs> says... Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So that goes to your frame of mind. Right. Focus on the positive. If you want to be positive, think on the positive. Then we have Matthew twenty-one twenty-two, And I felt really silly because... These were abbreviated, and at first I was like, Matt, what? who's Matt? Because, <laughs> you know, most of them are, you know, there's like Ephesians, and so I was like, Mathelian, oh, it's just Matthew. <laughs> okay, Patty. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I figured it out. It's Matthew 21, 22. Um, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So that's another speaking into existence thing. You know, if you ask for it and you have faith, it will become. Right. If you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. And That's belie- not in the Bible. And believing in something and putting out that um, intent kind of yeah. all, all course, uh, correlates together. Right. Then we have Isaiah fifty five eleven. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I, I sent it. Basically, what I say will happen. Mm-hmm. That's what the Bible says. Um, this one, and I don't know if everyone's aware, but we're recorded a couple weeks ahead right now. Yes. Um, so we are in early stages of Corona apocalypse right now while we're recording this. Um, where we've just started. Where this country is just now starting to slowly shut, yeah, shut down. Right. So who knows in two weeks when this gets put up what will have transpired. But I actually saw somebody post this one in relation to the coronavirus one day. Okay. And it says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. And that's Mark eleven twenty three. I don't know if I said that. Okay, so that was a, a positive thing is believing in the Lord and this yes. shall too yeah, if, if, yeah, if everybody believes that the coronavirus is going to go away and we're going to get through this together, then that's what we're going to do. And I agree with that. It's kind of like the um, a good example of that was one of the groups that I'm in were doing um, good intent for the fires down in Australia. Australia. Mm-hmm. And they had, you know, because... In case y'all didn't know, Australia was burning away. Yeah, it was burning into the oceans. And um, a group of people got in the same mind frame and mindset and believed in it. And oddly enough, started raining. Yeah. So the the power of the human mind is something it, that 
it, once you grasp it and can mm-hmm. control it and make it do what you want. I mean, because we only use what like ten percent of our brain. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I probably use like eleven because I'm an overachiever. Yes, valedictorian. <laughs> we know. So, um, the last one of these scripture references um, is Matthew four four. It says, "But he answered, it is written." Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So basically, like, you don't live on just food. You live on what you say and hear and believe. Yes, I, I, I can get behind that, too. Yeah. So um, just some some scripture references. I know we have a wide variety of audience, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> um, but that's that's some of the religious ties that... I mean, it's not specifically talking about tulpas, but it's talking about the power of faith and the human mind. And, so. and believing in something. Right. So that brings us to modern tulpamancy, which is what... Is that video we watched? That's, well, oddly enough, the video we watched, she is the founder of tulpa.io. Okay. And that is where it's apparently like the... The resource. The resource for becoming a tulpamancer. There's directions. Yes. Um, YouTube videos, too. Yeah. I do not feel comfortable being responsible for giving people instructions on how to create a tulpa because Hmm. I kind of feel like it's inviting mental illness. But I'm going to get into that later, too. (laughs) Um, And bad juju. But I do have a degree in psychology, so I I guess my brain kind of tends to go that way. So, tulpamancy, um, these people believe, and, and I say these people, the tulpamancers, the people who create tulpas, believe that a tulpa is an autonomous entity existing within the brain of a host. So, that kind of, kind of sounds like parasitic. Yes. Um, uh, if you're referring to a host, yeah. that means something's feeding off of you. But they're a, a willing host. Right. But they, host is a host. Yeah, they invite it and create it. Um, I mean, you were a host of three boys, weren't you? I was and for a little bit, and then a, they were evicted. You were a willing host. So. Yeah. Hmm. True. Um, just to kind of further explain the autonomous entity, that means that they possess their own personalities, opinions, and actions. So I think in that video, for example, like it was a woman, but her tulpa was a man. Right. Yes. That, that exactly. Actually, it was it was a wouldn't say a man. It was a male because it was actually not a person. Right. It was more of a a it was a fox look big eared fox thing. But it was a male gender it was a male entity. Gender, yeah. Yeah. It identified as male because they asked that. Right. And that's that's the other thing is that it is a conscious entity that possesses awareness of themselves and the world. So it's not just, you know, this other, it's not like, you know, a puppet, I guess, you know, because a puppet can have a different voice and have a conversation with you, but it's still just the person talking. They, that puppet has no self-awareness and awareness of what's going on. Correct. The puppet says what Gabe wants it to say. Exactly. Yeah. And let me tell you what, when his dad picked him up, he had the puppet. And he was so excited he was and, bringing his puppet with him. And Gabe's dad was like, oh, great, the <laughs> puppet. 
<laughs> yes. Have fun with that. Bye. <laughs> but it makes him happy, so. It does. He likes his unicorn puppet, and he's been watching Shark Puppet on YouTube. So if you are the creator of Shark Puppet, my kid loves you. Oh, and, well, <laughs> let's go ahead and be honest. Your other two, they still play with puppets, too. They do. They do. it. Yeah. I'm never having grandchildren. <laughs> so um, that's kind of where I'm going to pick up with the psychology side of things if you want to go into yeah. some stories first. Well, I just got this one other story that I liked really good because it kind of explained the um, the development. And then it didn't go into a lot of the breakdown of, of how to get rid of the tulpa. That's called dissolving them, but I didn't see a whole lot on how to do that either. Right. Um, there there was a word for it. I saw it somewhere, and I was like, eh, not important. Well, now it's kind of important because I'd like to tell you all what it was, but I don't know. I saw dissolve. We'll go with dissolve. Mm-hmm. So, but we're not going to tell you how to make them, so we don't need to tell you how to not make them. You right. are responsible for that on your own. Correct. So this is another one of um, Alexandria's stories that she has published here. And the website that I'm reading this from is anomalyinfo.com. Right. And that's actually where I got some of the history from too. Right. Uh, wealth of information here. I mean, this was a great read and y'all know, y'all heard me read. <laughs> I'm horrible, but I actually read this and enjoyed reading it and retained a lot of the information. I thought, wow, it's pretty nice. So, she labeled this one a personal touch. And uh, having seen tulpas and learned theoretically how they were made, Alexandria decided to try to create one herself. And so she isolated herself and, and performed the various rituals and techniques she had learned. As the object of her experiment, she decided to envision a short, fat monk you know, I fit that description. You're not, for, you're not a monk. Except for I'm not a monk. <laughs> oh, is that a dry cough? It might be. Or it might be pollen. I don't know. I'm probably dying. So you're not a monk, though. I'm not a monk, though. And incidentally, a jolly type of person. You're also not jolly. I am so <laughs> not jolly. Um, oh, cat says hi, y'all. I don't know if y'all hear it. We didn't really notice it on the last episode. I heard it a couple of times on the last episode. The initial part of her experiment took a few months and consisted of her creating a living image in her mind of a jolly monk, complete down to every detail. So, okay, I hate to interrupt you, but I guess that's what makes this different than a possession is you're choosing... Yeah, you're creating what this is in created. your mind. Nothing's so, latching on to you. It's like not just like red rhyme, red right. rhyme, <laughs> and you're stuck with it. It's, right. You get to pick what it is. Is that a shining reference? Yeah. Oh. I was doing the finger thing too, guys. Y'all couldn't see it. She practiced imagining this monk as consistently doing things around her that a real person would be expected to do. And over time, her idea of him became both fixed and lifelike. This monk was essentially a guest that shared the apartment. Apart, yeah, apartment that she was staying in while performing this stage of the test. 
At this point, Alexandria ended her seclusion and gathered her servants and tents and resumed her tour of the country. To her perception, the illusion of the monk persisted and he appeared to include himself in the group as they traveled, often seen by her performing acts in which to be naturally done by travelers. She no longer needed to actively think about the monk for him to be seen and take action now, and stranger still, she could now occasionally feel the monk. His robe sometimes rubbed past her, and on one occasion, she thought she felt his hand on her shoulder. That'd be a little weird. So could the other people see him, too? Hold that thought. A little more alarmingly, as the illusion started to act on its own and become more than just visual, the features that she had intently envisioned for the monk also started to change. So he's starting to develop his own thing. Okay. All right. That's starting to sound more like a possession. So he became leaner and meaner looking, and he started to be more troublesome and bold. And Alexandria was losing control of her imagined monk. Hmm. Okay. One day, a herdsman brought a... What is that, present? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a herdsman brought a present of butter to Alexandria and saw the tulpa in her tent. He just thought she had a llama visiting. The incident, the incident appears to be the turning point for Alexandria. The out-of-control tulpa was starting to be real to other people. So she realized she had to end the experiment. The effort to dissolve the tulpa to end her own built-up belief in its existence took six months to fully accomplish. So I'm guessing you would probably kind of do that in reverse. You'd start imagining them to be losing their distinction and having less belief in them being there. I have no clue, and I have no intentions of trying to figure it out. I know when you get so good at it that other people see it, you've done messed up. We're just really good at it, overachiever. Well, yeah, but, I mean, that's when you accidentally create, like, Bigfoot. Uh, possibly. I mean, I know that's one of the theories. That's why I brought it up, but... Right. I I mean, mean, because how many people believe in Bigfoot, and on a nightly basis, unintentionally, how many thoughts of Bigfoot are going out into the world? It's true. And if you do this enough, it may not be the same people doing the same thoughts every night. But over time, what's to make it not happen? Gosh, now I'm getting a little creeped out that the shadow person in our house is going to start taking form into an actual like thing. Shadow people are completely different than tulpas. Well, don't start picturing it being something. Uh, you know, I hadn't seen it in a minute. We ain't had no tulpas in this house. No. That creeped me out. I hadn't seen the, our shadow friend in a while either. Uh, I feel like I have. Down uh, the hallway. Uh, like, just glimpses, though. I still hadn't. He doesn't like you no more. He does. I'm his best friend. <laughs> I'm so, his only real friend, by the way. 
<laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I've heard that so many times now. <laughs> so mean. So do you want to talk about the other um, kind of mass-produced pop culture oh. tulpa before we move on to... Yeah, let me um, get my little image pulled down here so I can kind of see what I'm talking about. Because... This, this one's going to be short and sweet because everybody knows a little bit about this. Gives me the heebie-jeebies, though. So, I have not had any personal experiences with this. No, I haven't either. Um, Philip, the oldest son, he uh, thoroughly creeped out by it, but he seems to know quite a bit. But we are separated at this point. He's over at his dad's house, and we're here. And Being quarantined from his mama who has to deal with the public. Right. So we're going to talk about Slenderman, or Slenderman. Slenderman. That sounds like his Jewish version. <laughs> <laughs> Neil Slenderman. Okay. So the origin, which I found on Wikipedia, says that the Slenderman was created on June 10th of 2009 on a thread in the Something Awful Internet Forum. The thread was a Photoshop contest in which users were challenged to create paranormal images. And Eric... Knudsen? Knudsen, sorry. Otherwise known as Victor Surge. Pseudonym. See, I know big words. (laughs) Contributed two black and white images of a group of children to which he added a tall, thin, spectral figure wearing a black suit. Although previous entries had consisted solely of photographs, Serge supplemented his submission with scratches of text, supposedly from witnesses describing the abductions of the groups of children, giving the character the name Slenderman. So, so it was just a... It started out as just a Photoshop picture. and In like a Reddit yeah. forum kind of thing. Yeah. It wasn't Reddit, but... Yeah, it was uh, something awful in her right. form. So, enough of this. I mean, you can go through so many paranormal podcasts and listen to stories of uh, Slenderman like uh, Creepy, one of the podcasts I listen to on a weekly basis does quite a few of, on um, Slenderman because but, they pull their stuff from creepy pastas. Right, and for some reason when people saw this picture it just started sparking all kinds of creativity and right. fan stories and Fan fiction, that's so, what they call it. But. So in the early development, the Slender Man soon went viral, spawning numerous works of fan art, cosplay, and online fictions known as creepypastas. Horror stories told in short... Does that say snatches? It says snatches. Snatches. Snacks. <laughs> of easily copyable text that spread from site to site. So now you have like this one... One, say, say, two hundred fifty thousand subscribers, and the picture saw fifty-five million views. So you're you're looking at fifty-five million people with this on their mind. So could they have possibly created 
a tulpa of this picture because the the details of this character are so minute. There, you don't have to think tea tiny. You can just think relevance. Right, because it's all it's a he has, he has no, no face. face. There's no features There's to no think feature, on. Right. So if you got 55 million people on it, on let's say that's just total people. Let's say on a given night, only five million. Five million. Think about it. Is that enough power to make it come to being? Well, that, that kind of concerns me about horror movies that are popular and people thinking about it now. We're going to create Freddy Krueger. Okay, so the last little bit I'm going to throw on here is um, well, Wakush, um, Wak- Wakisha. Well, yeah. So. On May 31st of 2014, two 12-year-old girls in Waukesha, Wisconsin... We should have done this last week. ...held down and stabbed a 12-year-old classmate 19 times. When questioned later by authorities, they reportedly claimed that they wished to commit a murder as a first step to becoming proxies... For the Slender Man, having read about it online. They also stated that they were afraid that the Slender Man would come back and kill their families if they didn't commit the murder. So it's kind of like a Slender Man gang initiation? Right. After these girls attacked this other girl and stabbed her 19 times, check this right here, I mean, wow. They left the scene, and the victim crawled out of the woods onto a roadway, and a passing cyclist alerted authorities, and the victim survived the attack. A passing cyclist. So they did this in broad daylight. Yeah. Wow. Kids so, are assholes sometimes. Kids are scary. You know, when, when Adam always said that he didn't like kids... He was, mm-hmm. They creeped him out. I was like, dude, that's rough. I've met some creepy kids in my day. I'm not going to lie. He has a valid point. Yeah. So, driving on. Both attackers have been diagnosed with mental illness. Oh, that's going to tie into what I talk about in a minute. But also have been charged as adults and are both facing up to 65 years in prison. Well, I'm going to tell you, if they were diagnosed with mental illnesses, they're not going to see that time. They're going to get treatment, and they're going to get out. One of the one of the girls reportedly said Slender Man watches her and can read her mind and can teleport. Yeah. Well, because as soon as they realize that when they start saying, no, I don't see or hear Slender Man anymore, that they'll let them go, that's what they're going to say. Well, you know. So there you are. That's a, a quick bit on a, I think, what could possibly be a mass-produced, unconscious tulpa. That is maybe not in physical form, but is host-hopping? Ho- maybe host-hopping. And it has, this being has enough force behind it and people willing to write things about it that will convince young people that have no clue about what they're doing to do stupid things like stab their 
classmate 19 times. Yeah. That just made me think of other things that might be a tulpa, but I'm not going to mention it in case some younger listeners might overhear and it might crash some childhood fantasies. And Okay, well then quit talking about it and move know, on to certain, the psychology part of it. Certain holiday things. <laughs> You're so not listening to me. Okay, so... Um, Kind of talking about that, and with these two girls being diagnosed with mental illnesses, um, when I was reading about tulpas and this tulpamancy, me having a psychology degree, I'm like, well, that's creating multiple personalities. Man, I thought I agreed with that. I mean, you're physically in your head talking to yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember watching that movie Sybil and- when I was younger, and it seemed a lot like that. Well, and I did look at the instructions, and at some point, it is supposed to start answering you in a completely different voice. Right. In its own voice that you make up. Right. So, multiple personality disorder is not called that anymore. It's called dissociative identity disorder, or DID. Then there's also other specified dissociative disorder, OSDD. That's basically like if you don't quite meet the criteria for this one, we're going to throw you under this umbrella. So, Tulpa.io, like I said, that's where most, like, she is the expert on Tulpas, I guess, in the world. And it explains on that website that Tulpamancy is not a mental health disorder or dissociative identity disorder. Simply because it doesn't cause distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. Now, let me tell you, I got defensive when I read that. She did. Because (laughs) you know who she bitched and fussed about at it? (laughs) This guy. Yeah. Um, I I got very um, passionate. I actually quit taking notes for like two days because I got mad. Um, because I looked up, I'm like, well, that, that can't possibly be right. That can't be one of the criteria for diagnosing someone with dissociative identity disorder. So I'll look up good old Google, um, the DSM five, which people who aren't familiar with psychology, the DSM is the dictionary of mental health disorders. Can you get that in hardback? You can. Um, I think it's expensive. I was um, just asking. Yeah. I, like, I love books. Oh, I don't yeah. read a lot mm. of them, but I love books. Yeah, you totally can. You could probably get some of the older editions for pretty cheap now. No, I want, I want the new ones. It's got all the good stuff in it. Right. Um, so, the, the these books are what psychiatrists use to diagnose people. Because, I mean, there's a lot of different mental health disorders out there. And a psychiatrist or psychologist can't possibly remember every detail of every single one of them so when they start getting a little stumped they can pull out their handy dandy book flip to what they think it might be check off symptoms yes 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 and boom there's your diagnosis so here's our checklist for dissociative identity disorder and it had them listed in order i'm going to move one to the bottom so you didn't like that one being first well, you'll see why. All right. I so, love surprises. Yeah. So, so tell me after I read each one if you think that this could be talking about tulpamancy. Okay. 
Um, you have two or more distinct identities or personality states, each with its own relatively enduring pattern of perceiving, relating to, and thinking about the environment and self. Now, uh, you said topomancy, not necessarily topa. Tulp, yeah, the people who are creating a tulpa in their mind. Yes, I, that could be. Um, amnesia must occur, which is gaps in recall of everyday events, important personal info, and or traumatic events. And I'm not saying in this that the person doesn't remember the tulpa being present. I'm saying she like don't the, remember the conversation. Well, no, the tulpa may not remember that traumatic thing t- that happened to me when I was five. Gotcha. Yeah, I go with that. So that's that's kind of how I read that. Um. The disturbance is not part of normal cultural or religious practices. That one's a little iffy on tulpas because it, we did talk about some religious ties. Yeah, but those are ties. So. Right. It's not normally practiced in religion now. Well, it, it stems from Buddhism. Right. And that's still practiced pretty widely over where they do so that. Depending on your religion, it could be a right. factor. Right. The symptoms cannot be due to direct physiological effects of a substance or a general medical condition. So it can't be drug-induced. It can't be seizure-induced, that kind of thing. Okay. It can't be caused by traumatic brain injury because yeah. those are other diagnoses. Right. Then, yeah, that could be tulpamancy. So, so far, I've listed four out of five, mm-hmm. and everything fits what we're talking about tulpamancy, which would mean... They have dissociative identity disorder. Correct, but I know which one you're fixing to throw out there. The person must be distressed by the disorder or have trouble functioning in one or more major life areas because of the disorder. And that, my friends, is where tulpamancy is no longer a mental health disorder. A mental health disorder. And that's when I got pissed off. It's it is it doesn't affect them in a negative way. But that's that's what I had trouble with because that's saying as long as you are okay with your mental health disorder, you don't have one. Well, I mean. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I get what you're saying there, but it's also kind of like what's the difference between if we label topomancy, take that off the table, and you have two people acting out two characters that they created in their mind and they're just acting out playing together then it's not a thing period but see these people put a a word with it and made up guidelines for it and so see it's it's right there on the fringe of a mental disorder i'm not going to say illness because i don't think it's necessarily an illness because it's not disrupting your life Right. You know, paranoid schizophrenic. My my ex-wife's uncle was a paranoid schizophrenic. I mean, he literally would trip balls because he thought somebody was across the woods watching him with binoculars. And he was like, did you see the glint? Did you see the glint? And being former military, I know what he's talking about with the glint. And um, I'm like... Uh, I'm not seeing a glint, man. He goes, it's there. They're watching me. He would pack his shit up and walk away, and we wouldn't see him for years. 
Well, and, and that's, that's my problem, I think, with that being part of the diagnosis. Because to simply say, well, it doesn't bother me, disqualifying you from having a disorder. I mean, there are so many people that suffer from disorders like bipolar and paranoid schizophrenia that are notorious for not maintaining medication like they're supposed to because they I mean in the the bipolar aspect of things when they get on that mania and they're feeling really good and on that high they they don't want to be brought down so they won't take their medication so it's not bothering them then so are you telling me that's not a disorder yeah but I I still don't think this may be it's not a mental illness it's just a I don't know because it's not causing them any any dysfunction in their life. It's not it's not hindering them from living their life. Right, but I struggled with it because I have seen people struggle with a lot of severe mental illness. Why are you looking at me? I'm not talking about you. Okay. <laughs> um but I have I have seen it firsthand and it in struggled to get them to comply with treatment and it's it's heartbreaking to me that someone could just say well they're they're good with it so they're they don't have that diagnosis like i feel like that's harmful i don't but i don't think that's what they're saying that if you're good with it and it doesn't bother you because there's a distinct difference between some of the things you rattled off versus this topomancy right i mean a distinct difference this may actually be a coping mechanism for people who are so shy and disconnected from people that when they need to go speak to people, they literally have to put on a character so they don't have to expose themselves to somebody. Oh, it's like the sunglasses in Big Daddy. Yes. He had to put on the sunglasses so that nobody could see him. Right. So he could go in the classroom. See? Yeah. Well, I, I did make peace with it. Yeah, that was a good little rant, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> But I, I did I did make some peace with it um, with this article that I found in Psychology Today. Um, it's called Daring to Hear Voices, and it was written by cognitive anthropologist Samuel Paul, I don't know, v- Vessiere. Or, Jose. Yeah, Jose. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at that. But, that's not that's not a word. But Vessiere. Um, anyway, Samuel. Um, he wrote this article, and, and it's about topomancy and mental health disorders. And it's basically saying, like, topomancers typically report positive experiences. Um, they have overall increased happiness and more confidence through the help of their tulpa. Right. Um, it's kind of like what I was saying. Right. Many who were diagnosed with depression, anxiety, or ADHD spoke of overall improvement of their symptoms when they were able to develop a tulpa. Okay, so hang on to that thought real quick because what you just said. So if I am suffering from depression and whenever my tulpa that I have created in my mind takes over for, for my, takes over my body, and I'm playing host to my tulpa, my tulpa's not depressed. So if my tulpa's not depressed, then I feel better mentally. Right. 
my mind, even though my depressed mind is on the back burner, my current mind is not depressed. So therefore, I am actually improving my yeah. perception of being happy. Right. You're improving your symptoms. Right. <clears throat> so um, it says actually that tulpas that have been interviewed, and we saw in that video when we're talking about tulpas being interviewed, the host is sitting there and the interviewer asks to talk to the tulpa. Mm-hmm. And the tulpa comes forward. Right. And they're, they just begin talking to them like they were talking to the host. Just chatting it up like nothing's going on. So when these tulpas have been interviewed, um, they often describe being immune to certain conditions of their hosts. Okay. Now, oddly enough, there seems to be one exception. You want to guess? Autism spectrum disorder. So if you're if you're on the spectrum, your tulpa's on the spectrum? Mm-hmm. And one tulpa explained this by saying, mm. since they both have the same brain... That is wired completely different. That they are bound to similar limitations. That makes perfectly good sense. Yep. I mean, that's what I've always said about Gabe is... He's just, his wiring is messed up. Yep. And if your wiring's messed up and you create another being in that messed up wiring, its wiring's going to be messed right, up Right, because it's essentially using the same brain that is wired wrong. Right. And or I, different. I'm sorry, not wrong. I guess it, with um, depression, anxiety, ADHD, those have other factors going on. That's not a wiring issue. That could be environmental or a learned behavior. Or it could be chemical imbalance. Right. So there's, it's, it's not as. Because I think I have a lot of ADHD in me because it is so hard for me to sit down and do research for any of this stuff. See, I think I have self-taught ADHD. And I know that sounds backwards. You've learned the habit. I've I've learned to multitask so much right. because I've had to that I can't do one thing at a time now. It makes me antsy. Right. And, and I me, never had that issue before. I I am the best hound dog in the world when it comes to researching and YouTubing because I will rabbit hole like nobody's business. But he won't write a damn thing down. Have you seen my writing? <laughs> cut cut and paste is my best friend. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting that other disorders were able to kind of disappear with tulpamancy, but not autism. Um, now, where I kind of came to terms with this a little bit is, um, and I'm sure there's more people doing this, but in this article, it talked about a Dutch psychiatrist, Marius R- Rome. Um, has developed an approach based on tulpamancy called living with voices. And he uses this to help people with psychosis get to know their voices and turn them into friendly voices. Okay, so... So when you have someone who has some form of psychosis, which goes along with schizophrenia and those kind of things, someone who's hearing voices that are scaring them, telling them to harm themselves, telling them to do bad things to other people. This this line of thought goes with if you can get to know these voices and make them your friend, mm-hmm. then they're not going to want to have you do bad things anymore. They're not going to want you to hurt yourself, and you're not going to be afraid of them. Right. Making it 
bearable to live ongoing with these voices. Right. That, that's kind of like one of my experiences that I've had to go through and learn how to deal with. Right. So it's it's not really creating a tulpa, but it's it's using the practice that tulpamancers kind of, use. Kind of the same philosophy. Yeah, as yeah. a basically as a, a therapy. Right. You know, um, so like, I don't know how you would go about changing a thought pattern like that, you know, instead of, hey, you know, you need to cut yourself. Do you just train your brain to when it thinks that, you automatically replace that with no, I need to tell myself I've done a great job. Well, no, I, w- I would have to research it a little more in depth, but what I thought more what it was talking about is when you hear that voice saying, hey, you need to cut yourself, that the therapist is going to mediate you into basically being like, hey, voice, I'm Jill, what's your name? So that would be a learned, a learned response to that thought. Right. Not, not necessarily a learned response to that thought, but then getting that voice to talk back to you and get to know so it and take the fear out of it. with it. Right. Gotcha, gotcha. I got, I'm not just a Not just a learned response of when it says this, I'm going to say this. Right. But a, it has to kind of start out like that. Right. Because you have to know when your mind says do something harmful to yourself, you have to be able to say, hey, let's not do that. Let's talk about why we want to do why or so I'm I'm going to use an example that you're not going to understand because you haven't watched Harry Potter. <laughs> but in Harry Potter, there's a thing called a boggart, and a boggart usually hides in cabinets and drawers and things like that. And the bad thing about a boggart is when it comes out and you're faced with it, is it turns into your worst fear. So, different people see different things. Mm -hmm. The character that is Ron, he sees a giant spider, which I know you can relate to. I can. So, the way to battle and confront this boggart is to turn it into something that's so ridiculous that it makes you laugh. Okay. And so, like the example in the movie is Ron makes the spider wear roller skates. Okay. And it's going all over the place. I see that. So I think that's what this is, right. is it's taking something that is scary, scary and it's it's introducing you to it and letting you turn it into something else in your brain. Right. I, I follow that. So um, is that it for the psychology section? That's that's it for the psychology section. I think all we got left is while we're on the topic of talking about multiple parts of your brain, <laughs> we wanted to throw a little side story in that's interesting tidbits about you yeah so back when we first started dating we were i forgot what we were doing but we have weird conversations we do and i made the comment you know well it wasn't a comment i was telling a story because i have lots of stories and i was telling her that you know back in junior high when we were doing genetics they were saying you know hey you have lobed ears or you have connected ears well we we all had to look in the mirror so we could see the difference in in what was what talking about positive and recessive genes yeah positive and recessive genes well i have one lobed ear and one attached ear or connected it's attached so yeah so 
according to science, that's not possible. Because attached is the recessive gene, okay. meaning you have to have both recessive genes to have attached to have attached earlobes. So if you have one dominant gene, it's it, not attached. Right. So I, 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 you know, I'm genetically deformed. That's what that's what we were talking about. I right. Think. And she got to talking to her best friend while she was chatting it up with me. You know, Google. And turns out that this is a condition called chimerism. It's one of the possible explanations for it. Right. I'm not going to waste the money to go get it checked out. But whatever. I just go ahead and claim it and accept it. That's what I is. <laughs> I am a chimera. Because it sounds cool. Yeah. Well, in mythology, chimera is the... What was it? A lion with a dragon's head and a snake for a tail? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty badass. So, um, she has a little story here. Uh, I just threw mine in first. I'm going to go ahead and read through all of it, I think. I feel like their story's the same as yours, though. Okay. So, I'm going to go ahead and just skip Just go to that, that answer. So, but um, there's no lead-in, so it's just going to be a... I'm just going to start with... Right. The, the, the question was someone who has attached and unattached earlobes and how can that happen so as you said unattached ears are thought to be dominant over attached ones so if one ear is unattached they should both be unattached and vice versa but what may have happened is in one of your ears followed the dominant instruction and the other followed the recessive instruction in other words each ear had a different set of instructions. One way this could happen is if the DNA is for a different is different for each ear. There's a couple of ways that this can happen. One is if you're a chimera, a chimera, a chimera, it, chimera, chimera, a chimera. You're a chimera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a chimera is someone who has. Two groups of cells in their bodies, each with their own DNA. The difference between the two DNAs are huge, as different as two siblings. And that makes sense because a chimera is a result of a fusion of two siblings. Dun, dun, dun. So the running joke now is, is I ate my twin. Yeah, cause he, and he's the evil twin. And I was the bad one. <laughs> so... What happens is that that two paternal twins fuse very early on in development. This happens when the embryos when the embryo is made up entirely of embryonic stem cells, which is why they don't end up with four arms, two heads, etc. So still when you're like a little shrimp yeah. and all the cells are the same thing. Right. Tadpole stage. Mm-hmm. You now, were an evil twin early on. Hey, it's following suit. <laughs> I'm not sharing my uterus. <laughs> Chomp. <laughs> it's my apartment. This is now combined embryos grow into a single person, and their cells and DNA of one sibling and some are of the other. Imagine one twin was going to have attached earlobes, 
and the other one's going to have unattached earlobes. Fuse the two together and you may end up with someone with attached and unattached earlobes. This is the most likely explanation since chimeras are thought to be relatively rare. Yeah, this isn't the most likely. Oh, this isn't the most likely explanation since chimera, chimeras are thought to be relatively rare. But it's the coolest. It is. <laughs> However, the other explanations aren't a whole lot different, so... My Lanta, you gave me a book to read. Yeah, you want me to go into some of it about yeah. mosaics? Yes. So, um... There's there's only been 30 documented cases as of 2003 of chimeras. So that's why they're saying it's pretty rare. That's 30 cases out of 30 billion people in right. the world. But you've never been tested. No, I have So you don't know. No, I mean, and I'm pretty sure, well, how they'd have to test for multiple DNA strands. So if they're not looking for two, they might not find two, right? Right. And they might have to take samples at different times or from different areas. And, and I'm pretty sure the Army has my DNA. Right, probably. They probably have a clone of you somewhere. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> so, um, but it says that this number may be an underestimate because there's not been a comprehensive study. Um, but another much more common way to end up with two different DNAs is called mosaicism. Now, we are all most likely mosaics. That happens when a single cell gets a DNA change early on in fetus development. So that change is then passed down to some cells and not others. So like basically your, your cells are starting to divide and one of them, you know, you've got red, 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 red. And then one of them's like, I want to be blue. So now you've got mostly red and you got a couple blue. Right. So that change, um, the end result is someone with two different sets of slightly different DNA. So it's not the difference of siblings then at that point, just a little different. So wherever it came from, like if the DNA chap change happened in the earlobe gene, then and it happened at just the right time, then you've got the gene on one side for an attached earlobe, and the gene on the other side for an unattached, just from that one little blip. Right. So um, it changes the instructions, and you continue to grow and divide. Um, each of the cells divides many times and ends up being 100 trillion or so cells to make up a person. So then you've got one attached earlobe, and some cells have the unattached. And my understanding is your whole DNA codes in every cell. So right. even if you like took a sample of your toe, it's going to have your earlobe DNA. So maybe your big toe has attached earlobe DNA and your little toe has unattached, unattached. earlobe DNA. Right. That would make sense. So that's, that's mosaicism to explain a little bit more in detail of how this mosaicism works. Um, when you're talking about dominant and recessive genes, remember we said if you've got a dominant gene, then you have the dominant trait. So the only change that has to happen is to mess up that dominant gene just a little bit. Just a little. So um, I'm not going to get too scientific, but our, our DNA is written in code in, in four bases. And, and that's what we're talking about, getting messed up. So... When you're talking about 
a mosaic that just changes one of the letters, you end up with a bunch of gibberish that leads to an attached earlobe. Right. Then there's another type of mosaic that just changes the punctuation, basically, in the sentence. Like, it's still the same letters. It just changes the code a little bit. So... In in that case, the body doesn't know where one code ends and another one begins. So that messes it up enough, too, that you end up with attached earlobes because that's the recessive trait. Gotcha. So um, that's, that's another way. It's not quite as cool as chimerism um, to end up with two slightly different DNAs. Um, Some of the stuff that I didn't really put in this, though, that's just kind of interesting, there's actually been paternity suits that have gotten pretty messed up because of this stuff. Um, I actually remember when I first learned about chimeras and when we first were talking about it, there was a woman that was being tested for some reason. Um, I think her kid needed an organ or something. And they tested her to see if she would be a match. And not only was she not a match, but they said that because of the way her test results turned out, she couldn't possibly be the mother to her child. Right. So but they, like she, see, they accused her of stealing the baby. Right. Um, but she had to go through all these tests, and there were, like, criminal charges and stuff mm-hmm. coming up. And then they discovered that she was a chimera. And one of her ovaries is... The twin she absorbed, basically, like, is that DNA. Oh, wow. And so, like, her child biologically, like, genetically is her niece. That's and not not her daughter. Right. But she birthed her. So, right. that's, it, it really can, that's really the only times that people have really noticed it is when there's been medical reasons to test for it. You've never had a medical reason to do a bunch of sampling. and No, nor do I plan on it. So, um, I guess since we're rocking on here about an hour and 11 minutes, um, we're going to cut out some stuff. Um, where can they find us? Um, they can find us on Facebook and Instagram at WTF Was That Pod. All right. We also have an email. That email is WTFWTPodcast at gmail.com. So you can, there's also a button on our Facebook page that you can click to email. Right. Um, you're checking that, right? Uh, <laughs> yes, it actually comes through on my, re- anytime my phone updates for checking the mail, it does come through. Just making sure someone's actually paying um, attention to it. But send us, send us story ideas. Um, we, we have a phone line set up that we can do listener interviews if you want to share a yeah, personal story. I do have the cable to make that happen now, so... You know, ready to to share some story times, right? Um, of course, our intro and outro music that I had banged to, and now y'all can't get that image out of your head, is by House of Curses. Yep. Um, y'all go check them out. We've linked them in a post on our Facebook page too. Um, other than that, I think that's everything. And one of your personalities can hit the button. All right. Y'all have a good night.